Yeah, so today we finished Choose Joy, and uh, when we finish something, I like to let you know what's coming up next, and next week we launch a new series with Pastor Kelly, our founding pastor. He's going to take us through a really powerful series called Overcome, how to move the mountains of addiction, depression, anger, and insecurity. This is going to be so powerful. You know, as the year comes to a close, we begin to reflect on what needs to change in our lives. And this normally leads to a list of resolutions for the new year, only after a little while to find ourselves back at square one. What if there's a better way? What if there's a way that we could really make a change and move these things that have built into our life, maybe become part of our identity? And they seem immovable, but what if we could really overcome? So this Christmas season, we're going to take a deeper look at those things, and this is going to lead us up to Christmas weekend, and we hope you'll join us that Christmas weekend right before Christmas as we have amazing uh, services planned uh, for you guys and your friends and your family. Uh, going to be a powerful weekend together, and we're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to hearing from uh, Pastor Kelly next week, and in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I just want to uh, thank you guys so much for your support Throughout this leadership transition we've been in this year, thank you for your encouragement and uh, just your prayers and just your intentional uh, words in this time. I'm so thankful for you guys, for our church leadership, for our directors, Jason Slover, Kyle Westergaard, and Al Moore, and their prayers and support, and they've just been so valuable. Our church staff, you guys are amazing. You love our community, love our church so well. And uh, the worship team, uh, they've been through a leadership transition as well. And I just so appreciate uh, the moments and the space they create for us uh, to become more aware of the presence of God, to unite our voice as a church, uh, to pour out our praise to Him. And uh, Chris and Teresa Brown, you guys, just so, so appreciate your leadership and your heart behind it. And I just feel honored to be a part of it all. So thankful for the culture and the spirit of this church that really Pastor Kelly has led the way on. And when he comes out to preach next week, you ought to give him a big hand and just uh, show him you're thankful to hear from him again. And Let's jump into Choose Joy. Let's do a little recap on this series. It's been a five-part series. The first week we talked about optimism and that we're going to be optimistic, not based on how we feel. This isn't a pop psychology series that's going to help us find the optimistic person within. But no, we're going to be optimistic because of what God's Word says. And we went deep into Romans 8, and we found eight reasons to be optimistic from Romans 8. Then we talked about being enthusiastic, and the enthusiasm, that word actually comes from entheos, meaning in God. And when we are in God, we can reject the apathy, the complacency in our life, and we can be enthusiastic and work and do everything as we do as unto the Lord. And then we're encouraging Because our God is an encouraging God, we're going to encourage others daily, we're going to encourage others spiritually, we're going to encourage ourselves in the Lord, that we're not going to be critical, we're not going to be cynical, we're not going to be condemning, we're going to advise only once in a while, but we're going to encourage every day. Then we talked about being generous, and we went through, man, 10 reasons why we get to give and why we can be generous and how God has an open hand towards us. And when we open up our hand, it does so many powerful things in our lives. And then this week, we're going to talk about gratitude. I think our world needs a shot of gratitude right now, don't you think? Seems like all the time people are focusing on what's wrong instead of celebrating what's right. 
They'd rather be a buzzard flying around every day finding dead things than be like a hummingbird flying around every day finding good things, dwelling on sweet things and complaining. It's like it's become an art form. I mean, some people, they can find anything to complain about. And they can even turn like an encouragement into a criticism. Like it started out encouraging, but now we're like bashing somebody else or by somehow by the time we got to the end of it, it's criticism. And uh, man, we can just find anything to complain about. If you're new to the Kansas City area, uh, maybe you've moved here recently. I just want to do a little orientation with you uh, around here. That, that In the Kansas City area, we complain about two things on the regular. And if you want to be a real Kansas City and you got to complain about these things, the first one is the weather. Got to complain about the weather. I mean, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too windy, it's too wet, it's too dry, now it's too humid. There's just always something to complain about with the weather. And I wonder, honestly, if like people in Southern California, like, because we always find something to complain about, do they complain that it's too perfect? Like, what's, what happened to seasons? We need some change. And the second thing we complain about on the regular is other drivers. You got to complain about those. You know, you're driving to work and the person in front of you is going too slow. You got to go faster. But then the person behind you is going too fast. Got to teach them a lesson. You know, you just got to balance it out and complain about these roundabouts. And if you're a true Kansas City and you got to complain about the stoplights on 71, you're not really part of us until you've done that. And uh, there's just always something to complain about. How many people play along? It's no fun if you don't play along. How many? Raise your hand high if you consider yourself an above average driver. Not many accidents, not many tickets. Okay, now here's the problem. If the majority of people say they're an above average driver, it must be all the other churches, their people, they're the bad drivers, I don't know, so. A few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, I was driving to church and I was running really late. And I was like, I need to be up there preaching right now maybe. And the person in front of me down here at the stoplight wasn't taking their opportunity to go when it was their turn. And so finally when they went, I like zipped around them and cut it a little close, you know, on Mullen. And then I looked in the rearview mirror and said, please no. Yes, they're turning into church this morning with me. No. And there's other things we complain about. You know, we complain about sports, you know, I mean, these guys have won two pennants in a World Series, but I know the batting lineup better than anybody. I know who we should keep and who should go. So there's other things we complain about. You know, we complain about all sorts of things. You know, we drive up to our house and we push a button and the door opens and we get it, our car into a protected environment and then complain about the gas mileage. And we go inside and it's a heated house and we open up the refrigerator, nothing to eat. Turn on the TV, nothing to watch. Open up the closet, nothing to wear. We have all these blessings, but we forget, we just forget to be grateful. It's amazing how blessed we can be, but how ungrateful we sometimes are. I've been studying gratitude this week, and I found that expert after expert says that gratitude is the value that unlocks so many other great things in our life. Cicero said years and years and years ago, Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all the others. And in recent years, science and psychology have been backing up that claim. And psychology as a science is actually very young. It's only about 
uh, over 100 years old. In the first 80 years of psychology, they were studying the abnormal or the negative. And then the last few decades, they've said, hey, what if we studied the positive and, and looked at it from a reverse side? And so they've done all these studies on gratitude. And what they found is that it absolutely changes people's minds. It totally transforms their minds. And I'll read you one quote from one of these studies. It says, gratitude has one of the strongest links with mental health of any character trait. It has a unique relationship with overall well-being, explaining aspects of well-being that other personality traits cannot. And, of course, we know that they're kind of late to the party because the Christian tradition has known this for a long time. Martin Luther, the great church reformer, hundreds of years ago, called gratitude the basic Christian attitude. The attitude of a Christian, fundamentally, it's just the way of being a Christian, is they're grateful. And thinking through the lens of this series, gratitude is what makes you optimistic and enthusiastic and encouraging and generous. Last week, I told you if there was only one sermon I could give you on choosing joy, it would be that one on generosity. And after studying for this week, I would say if there's one action you could do, one thing you could do in your life, it would be generosity. But if there's one attitude you could take on to help you choose joy in your life, it's gratitude. Because the reverse is true. If I'm not optimistic, if I'm not enthusiastic, if I'm not encouraging, and if I'm not generous, it's because I'm not grateful. It's because I'm not grateful. I want to show you a very interesting encounter in Luke's gospel It's Luke 17, starting in verse 11, and we're going to read through this story and see a description of some lepers who encountered Jesus, and we see actually the the tragedy of a lack of gratitude, but what gratitude can do in our lives. So here's how Luke reports the encounter, Luke 17, 11 through 8. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, As he was going into the village, ten men, how many? Ten, who had leprosy, met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And what we've got to understand is they are crying out from the depths of their heart. I mean, leprosy was so tragic, they would, they would have to tear their clothes so other people could see that they had leprosy and not come near them. And they could never, you know, really wear anything nice or have anything nice or do anything nice to their hair. And they would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, as new people would walk by. And they'd have to keep their mouths closed when they were close to anyone so as not to infect anyone and they had sores that would actually ooze and and they would lose feeling in parts of their body to the point where I mean a rat while they were sleeping would gnaw on them or or chew off a pinky or a toe but the physical aspects while that's disgusting were actually even just part of it it was the mental and emotional aspects that they could never be intimate with someone imagine just living for years and years and never having a hug never encountering someone in that way And they see Jesus walking by, and they see hope. They know what he can do. And they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy, have pity. Give us hope again. 
verse 14, when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. That's interesting that he just sends them on their way because if they were to be cleansed, you would have to show yourself to the priests so they could prove it and announce you clean. And, and he says, go show yourself to the priests and they go on their way. And as they're walking, they are cleansed. And I just picture them walking along and starting to get feeling back where they haven't had feeling in a while and starting to see like, these sores be cleansed and maybe even actually getting like toes or a pinky or a nose back and just being cleansed and being healed. And I see them dancing and walking faster and starting to celebrate. But as they were going, one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned around and he came back and praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. I'll just point out that it would have been really odd for a Samaritan to even be interacting with a Jew at this time. And so he's just taking it to a whole nother level of gratitude and he's breaking barriers and even in a loud voice, He's being thankful. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? And he's not asking like, did it only work with one? He's saying, no, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Ten lives were miraculously transformed. I'm talking no hope back to normal life again. And only one out of ten comes back to thank God and praise God. If you're like me, you want to be the one. If there's one out of 10, if there's one out of 100, I want to be the one. And some of you today, you're the one. Maybe you grew up going to church, you've encountered God, and maybe you're the only one in your family left, still praising God, still leaning in, still engaging God, still getting to know Him, still praising Him, serving Him, worshiping Him. Maybe you're the only one in your friends that are left that have encountered God, that you're still worshiping. You're the one. I want to be the one. How do you be the one? Well, each week of this series, I've given you some application on how to be more optimistic or enthusiastic, encouraging and generous. And sometimes it was something to do. Sometimes it was just a way to change the way you think about something or maybe to believe something specific. And today I want to give you three things to say that are going to help you choose gratitude and help you choose joy. Three declarations that we're going to make together to help us choose joy and be grateful. And the first one, if you're taking notes, is this. We're going to say and declare that I know every good thing I have comes from God. I know every good thing I have comes from God. You know what I love about Thanksgiving is that it's in the name. It's kind of hard to like over commercialize it because it's in the name what it is that we're giving thanks to whom. And this is one of my questions or challenges to the person who doesn't believe in God or maybe even the atheist is who do you thank? When you're overwhelmed with gratitude like every human being is from time to time, who do you thank? When you look at the stars and you just see how big and vast everything is and you just think about Man, I'm just so thankful for this, for this shot at life. I'm thank, so thankful for my life. Who do you thank? The Big Bang? And when you look at your kids and you're overwhelmed with gratitude, who do you thank? Your spouse? The urge to procreate? 
Who do you think? And when you're just overwhelmed with the gifts of life, who do you think? James 1, 16 through 17 says, do not be misled. My dear brothers and sisters, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. Who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. We need to understand that every good gift has come down from God above. And we may say, well, I worked for this or I earned this. And that's, some of that's true, but you did it with something God gave you. Every time we succeed, we succeed with something God gave us. He's the giver of all good things. In fact, when you read through scripture, you see person after person, a whole list of people who are able to accomplish what they had because God is the author and giver of everything they had. I think about Noah, who gave, who gave Noah the plan for the ark, the ability to build it. Therefore, it saved his family. God gave the Israelites bread from heaven in the morning and he gave them a fire to follow. God gave David the courage and the stone to kill Goliath. He gave Jonah a fish to swallow him up, to redirect him, to take him safely to shore. God gave the teenage girl Mary the faith to say yes and give birth to the Savior of the world. God gave the wise men a star to lead them. God gave us the Prince of Peace, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lion and the Lamb, the Savior of the world. God gives us supernatural peace that goes beyond our human ability to understand. God has given us the Holy Spirit to convict us, thank God, to encourage us, thank God, to comfort us, to counsel us. God gives us the word direct to us. We can hold it in our hands. He gives us health to bless us. He gives us friends to love us. And he gives us a life we can use to glorify him. And we need to know that every good thing comes from God. We need to understand God is completely good. He's constantly good. He can never be less than good. God will never be not good. Everything our God does is good. And when we embrace this, that every good thing is a gift from God, it transforms our minds and it changes our life. And instead of having an attitude of, this is my right, I earned this, I deserve this, I'm entitled to this. We say, no, this is a gift from God. And it brings about so many other positive attributes in our lives. It's just a statement that will help you choose gratitude. I know every good thing I have comes from God. Number two, if you're taking notes, this is powerful. I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. If you're like me, you want a better car, you want a different house, you want to do some traveling, maybe you want some new clothes, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that, I wish I were there, I wish I had this, and so on and so on. And Solomon comes along and says in Ecclesiastes 6.9, better, better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. Think about it. Better what you have than what you want. Better what is in front of you than that which you are longing for. It's better to embrace what God has given you than to always want something more. It's better. It's better. What you have is better than longing for something else to make you happy. 
You see, gratitude turns whatever we already have into enough. Gratitude turns what we have into enough. Better what we have than the roving of the appetite, wanting something more. Gratitude turns what we have into enough because we recognize the blessings and where they came from. What's crazy to think about is it's not happy people who are grateful, it's grateful people who are happy. Come on, that's so good, I'll say it again. It's not happy people who are grateful, it's grateful people who are happy because better is what I have than, and what is before me than what I long for. Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. Now, some people, their argument against gratitude is, isn't that going to make me complacent? Isn't that going to make me apathetic? Isn't that going to keep me from striving for more? Well, yes, we, we ought to be moving forward. But if we don't do it from a heart of gratitude, we'll never be happy. It'll never be enough. And we'll never be satisfied and we'll never have joy. But it's not happy people who are grateful. It's grateful people who are happy. And most of us, man, we are so blessed. We are so blessed. You know, in this age and time, we do something that's very unique. We upgrade things that are actually still working. Not many people get to do that around the world. We actually upgrade things in our lives that are still working. That's how incredibly blessed we are. And I'm not asking you to feel bad about it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying be thankful. Be thankful. Gratitude turns what you have into enough. It's not happy people who are grateful. It's grateful people who are happy. And I recognize that every good gift I have comes from God. And I will not let what I want rob me from what I have. In fact, the Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 4, it's so powerful. He says, for I have learned to be, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Wow. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content, and I'm so glad that he put it that way. He says, it's not some people who just their personality makeup, that they can be content, but these people, they're going to struggle with contentment. No, he says it's something you learn. He says, I've learned the secret. It gives me hope that I can learn the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. And many of us know that last part, but we've missed the power of the context of it. He says, when I'm down to nothing, When I've lost everything, when I'm writing this letter from prison, I'm being persecuted, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. And what he learned, the secret to contentment that he learned is that it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Now some of us, probably many of us, it's not a thing that we want that's robbing us of what we have. It might be someone. Maybe you wish you were married. Maybe you wish you could have a relationship back. Maybe you wish you could have a friendship that you're missing out on that you desperately want. I know in our house, we wish we could have that baby that didn't make it. My wife wishes that she could have 
that best friend that she lost to death. She wishes she could have her little brother that she lost to death. I wish I could have that friendship back that that walked away and they didn't say anything and they just disappeared. But I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. And I will not let what I want rob me of all the amazing relationships God has given me. And I will not let what I want poison or rob me of what I have. And I will celebrate and I will be thankful. I will say every good thing in my life is an undeserved gift from God the Father. Number three, if you're taking notes, I'll turn every blessing I have into praise. We're going to turn every blessing that God has given us back into an act of worship before him. Why? Because every blessing we don't turn back into praise turns into pride. It turns into pride. Let me say it again. Whatever we don't turn back into praise turns into pride, turns into I deserve this. I earn this. This is mine. I'm going to close my hand around it. I did it. I'm better than all them. But everything we don't open our hand and give back to God and praise him for, it will turn into pride. So we recognize that every good thing we have comes from God, comes from above. We will never let what we want rob us of what we have. Because better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. And we will turn every blessing that we have back into praise for our good God. And that's exactly what David did in Psalm 103. I hope this becomes the cry of your heart this week, this Thanksgiving week. You know, Psalm 103 is so foundational to Rockbrook. We actually start every worship service with part of this psalm. It's in the the opening video, the pre-service video that we play. I just want to read the the whole psalm over you today. It says, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting 
to everlasting. The Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. And with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you, his servants, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. You know, in that story with Jesus and the leper, I actually left out the last verse of it. And after the one came back and he fell at Jesus' feet and in a loud voice, he's praising and thanking God. And Jesus says, where are the other nine? And he looks down at that man and he says to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. But he's talking a little differently this time. He's not just talking about physical healing. He's saying, you've been made whole. He's saying, your faith has saved you. He says, I healed all 10. All 10 had an encounter with me. All 10 got a word from me. But when you came back and you worshiped me and you thanked me, something happened in your life that you will be grateful for forever. Something happened from the inside out that you will be thankful for forever. And I know we're all grateful. But who in this room, come on, has been on their knees thanking God recently? Who's been on their knees in a loud voice praising God for who he is, what he's done in our lives, that he's given us eternal life, that he sent his son not only just to improve our life, but to pay the penalty for our sin and give us eternal life. Heavenly Father, help us to be the one, to be the one who gets on our knees and praises you. church just in prayer now say in your heart and mind I won't be too proud to humble myself and open my mouth and thank you God thank you so much for the people at our church that are saying yes to a heart of gratitude God may we see the enormous blessings that we have and that even if we are down to nothing we still have everything because we have you And we have life and life to the full, life eternal. A lot of us right now, if you think about what we deserve, a lot of people say, well, I deserve this, I deserve that. The reality is God teaches us that we really don't deserve anything good. And the truth is that all of us have fallen very, very short of God. And have sin in our life so much so that Jesus says, you cannot be in my presence. I cannot have that in my perfect holy presence. But God is so good that he made a way. And he sent his son who is without sin to live a perfect life. To be a perfect holy sacrifice. And to say, I'll take what you deserve. And I'll pay the penalty of death for you. And I'll rise from the dead. And by the power of that empty grave, you can have eternal life in the presence of our holy, perfect God. And it is our faith that saves us. 
to say we believe it. We believe Jesus, Son of God, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that he did that, that it is real. And God, we just ask you for new life, for life to the full. Help us to be grateful. Help us to be the one who praises and thanks you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.